0: well good morning church hope you are doing all right today um so i'm glad you're doing okay listen i just want to let you know there's a couple of building projects happening starting to happen here at the church um maybe by the end of next week we'll have a concrete pad out here for a new storage facility which is going to be to your left right out here. And we already have um, the playground timbers already set for where the playground's going to go, so that's out front. Next Sunday, you'll probably see part of that up, at least. Um, We are going to try to uh, stay off of it next Sunday because we're staining it and stuff like that. However, you know, if your kid gets on the play set, I don't don't care. It's their clothes. Um, And you know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, it's you're the parrot staying all over the clothes, that's great. I just want to publicly say that we're not uh, responsible um, financially for any clothes that may get stayed while your kid is on that play, play set and while they do whatever they're doing. So we're not financially responsible for that. But nonetheless, that's, that's what's happening there. Um, and then really, if, if you want to be a part of a Bible study, um, there's, there's several of them that are happening, as Chad said, next, starting next Sunday at 10 o'clock. A men's Bible study being taught by um, Matt Louder. A ladies' Bible study being taught by Angie York. So those are the two new ones. Um, and then there's stories and stories signs, and that's Greg and Chad. And then there is Proverbs, which is uh, Mr. Miller, Roger Miller. And so it's not an age-based thing, so you can go anywhere. Um, listen, if, but if you're currently in somebody's class and you just like the teaching, just stay in that class. No big deal, but it's, but it's a Bible study time for all of that. So I hope that you come out, and I hope that you get involved in that particular thing, in those particular Bible studies. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here, and this morning's message is called Miscellaneous Acts, and the reason it's called that is because there are three separate uh, themes, if you will, throughout that don't necessarily connect. The only thing that connects them is the text. And so that's why it's called miscellaneous Acts. So with that said, if you can turn in your Bible to Acts, that would be awesome. I will not be sitting on that today. It would make a memory. Eventually somewhere down the line, but uh, nonetheless. So... Um, Acts chapter 20 is where we are today, and I want to begin reading, I think, with verse 7. So Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says this, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. It's a long sermon. Jimmy, it's a long sermon, right? It's a long sermon. Now, that's interesting to, to me. Until midnight, people actually stayed and listened to him until midnight. So he was, he was somebody that you would want to listen to. Um, if you're wondering about his content at this point, it is possible that if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that would be his content because those are the scriptures that God had placed on his heart during this time to write. So he's right in the middle probably right in 2 Corinthians um, when he is at this point in Acts. So you could read through that to see what he was talking about. And I don't know how you could, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, I don't know how you can sleep through 1 Corinthians. Um, It's pretty, pretty spicy it is. So anyway, verse eight, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So there was a price to pay for him falling asleep. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Now, let me pause here. Nobody knows if this kid was dead or if he was just knocked out. But what we do know is that if he was dead, well, Paul resurrected him, and it wouldn't be the first time that he did that. Or he just felt him breathing and said, he'll be fine. He'll wake up in a, few, in a few hours. And in verse 11, it says, And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. So he has preached till midnight, and then they have eaten, and then have stayed up all night until daybreak. Now, you two have all-nighters with, you know, the TNT. I think you should try that. I think, John, you should just walk in, have the kids around you speak, have a couple of them sit in the slave loft, let them fall down, you know, stuff like that. Eat a little bit and then continue to talk until daybreak. I'm sure that the next time you have an all-nighter, you'll have a great crowd if you, if you try that out. So nonetheless, he, he did that. And when they took the youth away alive, they were not a little comforted. Now, this is what we do know. The people there felt like or knew, either one, that Paul had resurrected this kid who they thought was dead. That little phrase, and we're not a little comforted, means they were greatly comforted is what that means. It doesn't mean that they were scared of Paul. It doesn't mean anything like that, but they were rejoicing that this kid that fell out of the window was actually alive. And so that is the first section of our sermon this morning. Um, And I guess the application would be, um, be careful falling asleep. I guess that that would be it. You can always do, you know, the eyes like the guy did in the video or something like that. All right, next. Chapter 20, verse 1 says this. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece, and there he spent three months, and, with, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria, and he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, let me, let me show, show you what's going on here. If you see Troas, you see Troas up there? What has happened is um, Paul, way back in Acts, has left Antioch, and he went up through the outskirts of Asia, right, close to the coastline, on a tour. And he made it to Troas, and then he went over to Thessalonica, and then Berea, and then went all the way down to Athens, and then Corinth. So that, that's the area that he was in. Oh, that, that was very nice of her. The director's chair. That's very, very nice and short. I feel very t- Oh, Wow. All right, this is great. Anyway, Corinth, so he went down to Corinth, and he was in the Corinth-Athens area, and he was going to sail all the way over back to Antioch, that's, Syria is in that particular area, but he was going to go to a port over here. Well, while he was there, he got word through the grapevine that, you know, some people were going to, they're going to try to kill him or try to harm him or something like that. So he decided not to get on that boat. And instead, as you see the map, he goes back to Athens up to Berea and to Thessalonica and then goes over to Troas. So that, that, is, the, that is the pathway that he chose to go to kind of avoid being hurt or killed or, or whatever the people might have had planned. Now, in doing so, the scripture says this, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, in encouraging them, that means lifting them up, that means strengthening them in the faith. He said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions, the ones that we just talked about, and had given them much encouragement, much encouragement, that means lifting up, that means strengthening people. He then spent a couple of months and, and decided to go the other direction. So he sat there and he encouraged, he strengthened, he helped. Now in this environment, that was probably very much so needed. The church was something that was culturally um, not accepted in many of the areas. And so if you became a Christian and you started living the Christian life and you said that there was one God when your whole culture said that there was many gods, there was a lot of resistance and a lot of people talking bad about you and a lot of people pushing against you. Um, Also during this time period, There are people that are poor and that are struggling with making ends meet. There are people that had businesses, and because they became a Christian, their business suffered. Um, There were people that were politically involved in the church in all these areas, but, I mean, involved in politics of the Roman Empire. And when they went in to be witnesses for God, sometimes, you know, people can say some very harsh things, to you, when you stand for Jesus, and so they they were down, and they were maybe wondering if God was even around, and if He even existed, and so Paul, one well, maybe not existed, if He really cared for them, and so Paul took the time to go back through and encourage these new believers to keep keep the faith, keep going for things, keep Jesus in focus, and keep living the life. He encouraged people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm of the opinion that our country needs Christians to be on a tour of encouragement. Right? I I think it'd be great if churches across America and the people that are in those churches would go out this week and just, as their goal for the next seven days, to speak encouraging words to everybody and try to stay away from negative words. I think it would be great if, if we somehow started encouraging those around us, encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ in our church and even our neighbors and our friends. I think our culture is in a dire need of encouragement. Encouragement. Not clubs, not, not protests that are against another protest that is against another protest that's against something else. It is time for us to actually, as Christians, to be for people. Not that we accept people's sin, not that we accept maybe the bad things that they are doing. I'm not saying that, but I think people need encouragement. I think you could start here here at the church with the people that are sitting right next to you. There's some people nearby that because of their job and because of what's going on at their house and because of the pressures of all of that just need a word of encouragement. And maybe that word of encouragement is just you calling them on the phone and saying, hey, I was praying for you today. I don't know what you're going through, but I just want you to know that you're, I'm praying for you. When you tell somebody you've been praying for them, that they would have a good day, it changes the course of their day. Now, it might not be like Disney World change, right? But it definitely gives them strength and encouragement for that particular day. Or you call somebody on the phone to say, hey, you know, I'm glad they took care of that um, that stone. I'm glad that that's done with you and you feel a lot better enough to come to church today. I mean, I think that's, that's great. Or if they're going through some type of health issue and, or their parents are going through some type of health issue and you just call them on the phone and you say, hey, what, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help? Stay with it. Be encouraged. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to your neighbor and maybe even somebody you don't know, and I want you to just say an encouraging word to them. I'm not going to give it to you. It could be as simple as glad you're here today. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you took a shower last night. Glad you took a shower. Yeah. So it is good to see you smile. It is good to see you smile. You know, after, after a week that we've had culturally in this country, maybe the thing we need to do as Christians is just smile a little bit more. Now, some of us haven't developed those muscles. Okay? Okay. You have to develop those muscles. And some of us feel like that, you know, those muscles, it's very tiring to do that. Well, yeah, it is. But every now and then, uh, not a flirty wink, but a wink, a a nice look, a point, something to people. I was at a a thing. Seth and I went to an associational meeting. It was a worship service and meeting. And Milton Holyfield, who is the head of the... um, North Carolina Baptist State Convention. Um, He knows me. God bless his heart. But he he was sitting on the front row, and he saw me in the room, and he went, because obviously I'm still a teenager to him. He's probably about 70 or something like that, still a young guy. He goes like that, and that just made me smile. But he had a smile on his face. It just makes you feel good. And people need encouragement. They, they need to know that they're loved. They need to know that people are thinking about them. They need to know that they are cared for. They need to know that they're being listened to. They, know, they need to know that someone is somewhat sympathizing with, with their dilemma. People need to be encouraged. We need to go on an encouragement tour, an encouragement tour. So, Greg, it's going to be a little hard for you this week because you work at home and um, the only person that you could really encourage is probably Robin. But if you go to the grocery store, just smile at somebody. Don't scare them, but smile at somebody, right, when you do that. Or, or if there's just, just somebody, like, like, you know, um, do you, who is that person? I'm going to go on from this in a second. Who is that person in your life that you know when they walk in the room, it's going to be a good thing? Regardless of when they walk into the room, it is just going to be a good thing. It is not you, Aurora. Okay. She was over there doing this. Oh, me. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to humble a little bit here at at, at the service here. It's not you. No, when, when you walk in the room, who is that person that you're like, I am glad that they're here, and you just feel a presence of being uplifted? That is the people that we need to be. Look, I know that there has been some horrific things that happened in our culture this week. I just happen to live at the light at the end of the world's tunnel. I live in another kingdom that is not of this world and I'm not attached to it. There's no reason for me not to be somewhat excited and somewhat encouraging to the people that are around me. I live in a different kingdom than this world lives in. I live in a kingdom that lasts, a kingdom of light and not darkness, a kingdom of love and mercy and grace and judgment and righteousness. I live in a kingdom that is going to far succeed America and the United States of America. There's no reason for me not to be somewhat encouraging to other people. And when we are encouraging, we shine a light, and it helps things like hate and protest and things of that nature when we are people of encouragement. And we can start with each other. Here's what the Bible says. Encourage one another and build each other up. An encouragement tour is what we need to do. Now, let's skip down to verse 5. He lists a couple of things, and then verse 5 says this. These went on ahead, and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. This is interesting. Um, We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. That means that Paul participated in the days of unleavened bread. And then after five days, he, he sailed on for Troas. So what exactly is this feast... Of unleavened bread. Um, how many of you this year have been on some sort of diet? And not an all-you-see-you-eat diet. I mean, a, a legitimate like diet that you've looked up and you've kind of obeyed the stuff going down. Just raise your hand. A couple of people in the room. Yeah? All the way around? All right. Well, this is a couple of the popular ones. The G1 diet right? I've never heard of that one. Anybody heard of that one? Nobody heard of that one? It must be a GI Joe diet or something like that. Atkins diet, heard of that. Weight watchers where you weigh your food, you get the little scale, you see the people in the restaurant bring out their scale and they weigh what they're about to eat. Have you ever seen that before? It's just not everybody does that, but the people that are kind of nerdy do, bring it out and do that, are very serious about what they're doing. I'm just joking. If that was you, I wasn't trying to offend you. And let me encourage you to continue to lose weight. And I'm not saying you're fat. So then you kind of spiral out of control, right? I mean, at some point, you know, how can you, how can you do this? The zone diet, I've never heard of the zone diet. Um, I've heard of the 17-day diet. Um, I have a friend of mine that went on the 17-day diet and said that the only thing that they lost in the 17 days was 17 days, um, which I thought was funny. Um, the alternate day diet, and that is one, I don't know if you know this or not, where you don't eat one day, but you eat the next. You don't eat one day, but you eat the next. So it's an alternate day diet. Um, sometimes you eat the alternate foods on the alternate days and the, whatever you want on the other days. I'm not really sure how that would work. Calorie counting, uh, South Beach diet, which is a summer diet, obviously. And then uh, Dukan, or I don't even, Duncan. I'm not sure if that's a donut diet or if it's, you know, something like that, but if it's a donut diet, uh, Steve Hungerford is in. He's in, into that one. But here's, here are diets, and what you do on a diet is what? You actually let go of something that you're eating that makes you fat or makes you gain weight. You count calories, so you kind of cut out a certain amount of calories in your life for the benefit of your health. Now, when I was younger, I thought all this dieting stuff was just crazy. Um, I've Always had a high metabolism, still do, even though it's not as high as it used to be. Um, I can pretty much eat whatever I want to eat and still hang around about 175, 178. This is a point of contention um, with my wife um, who, who hates it. I mean, I can eat ice cream and go through a whole week of stuff and still weigh 173 in the morning and 176 in the afternoon. It's just, she's praying that I will, that will change and that metabolism will lower and that you know, I'll be a fat pastor. Um, she still reminds me often that I'm out of weight. I mean, not out of weight, out of shape. I'm out of shape, which is probably true, probably true. But what, the, what you do is you get rid of some stuff in order for yourself to be more healthy, for you to lose weight so your heart can be better, so as physically you can be a better person. That's what you do. Well, Back to this unleavened bread thing, what would happen is for seven days, the the Jews would not eat bread with leaven in it. Now, here's how this started. If if you'll turn over to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6. Yep. Great. Chapter 23, verse 6, and it says this. And on the 15th day of the same month, it's the month of how I pronounce it is Nisan, which is not the way you pronounce it. Same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord for 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the first day you shall have a holy convocation um, you shall not do any ordinary work but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for 7 days and on the 7th day is a holy convocation and you shall not do any ordinary work now what would happen is the first the first month of, of the Jewish calendar is what I have called Nisan so long. That's probably not how you, how you pronounce it, but it's neat let's just say Nisan, okay? And um, it's the first month, and on the 14th day of that month is what you call Passover. Now, this month does not start and well, I'm not gonna get into that. So it's the 14th day of Passover. So you... You prepare for Passover during the day, and at twilight, you eat Passover on the 14th day. Now, a Jewish day starts in the evening. So when the sun goes down and the stars come out, that's the beginning of your 14th day. So when the sun goes down on the 13th day and it's dark, that's when Passover, the prep for Passover starts, and you do it all day long until about 3 o'clock. Ish, and you have it prepared. And then at twilight, you eat the meal. They were told to do this as a reminder of them being uh, saved from Egypt by the power of Almighty God. So at the end of the 14th day about twilight, they're eating the Passover meal. Well, at the end of that day, when the sun goes down and the stars, stars come up, starts the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And so that day is considered to be a high Sabbath. In other words, it's just like a Saturday to them. It's just like a Saturday. It's just like the end of the week. And so they would not do any work and they would go to the temple and they would worship God. So it's just like a Sabbath. So so they had this Passover meal and then they had this feast of unleavened bread. And on the first day during the time that they're going to the temple and they're not eating anything. They're actually getting rid of all the leaven in their house. Any bread that has leaven is out the door. There are no yeast rolls being eaten for seven days. There's no barbecue bread, which is absolutely incredible, but you don't eat that during the day. You don't eat anything with leaven at all. Just, just bread without yeast. Now, how many of you have had the little square pieces that we use for communion? Um, I am really not sure that that's bread. I'm not really sure that that, I don't know what that is. Sometimes it tastes like plastic. You ever put the round ones in your mouth and it's like a plastic thing? I don't even think that counts. We don't even use that anymore. We, we use actual stuff that, I know you don't come to eat, but man, that plastic stuff, you're like, man, is this oh, nasty? Is this like an old milk carton jug I'm eating right now? Or I mean, I'm not really sure about it. So to kind of quit doing that, we, we use unleavened bread. And and do that sort of thing. So you get rid of the leaven on the first day. And for seven days, you don't eat that. Then on the final day, there's another Sabbath. So you go to the temple and you worship. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It can be another day. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, Jesus ate or participated in the Passover meal a little bit early in Scripture. And on that night when he was betrayed, was actually the 14th of Nisan, which is the Passover. And all during that next day, which is Thursday, he was judged and placed on the cross. The Passover lamb was prepared. That evening, they put him in the grave because the Bible says that they had to because there was a holy day coming. There was a Sabbath coming. That Sabbath was actually Friday, and it was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Jesus Christ went into the tomb, on what we would say was Thursday evening, but what the Jews would say would be what? Friday morning, or Friday at the start of the day. So he went into the grave, and they had a Sabbath where they got rid of all the leaven in their house, and they celebrated the fact that they were out of Egypt, they remembered all of that, free from Egypt, and then they went into Saturday, which is a normal Sabbath, and then on Sunday... Um, That's when they got the spices and went to the tomb and actually uh, found out that Jesus had rose from the dead. So the symbolism of, of this meal is Egypt is darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb of the Passover, needed to shed his blood to give us freedom from that darkness and that slavery of sin. He was placed in the grave and we were able to leave. And because of his blood sacrifice, we're able to get rid of all the leaven, which represents sin, out of our lives and be a new people and go to the promised land, a new land. It is an amazing picture of what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Leviticus does teach us, to teach the people to do this and remember the Passover lamb, getting rid of the leaven, getting rid of that and just eating this bread. And we are reminded later in the New Testament that this is also something that symbolizes our own personal sin. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Let me show you this. Next screen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading with verse 6. Paul here references this meal. And again, this is probably something he talked about in that whole midnight meeting thing and when where the guy fell asleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 says this. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, don't you know that a little sin leavens all of your perfection? Makes it bad. Seven, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven but the leaven of not with the old leaven the leaven of malice and evil but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth what paul is saying here is that you and i probably and probably should think about this often and maybe even should do this we should get rid of all the leaven in our life all the sin in our life and live unleavened lives of the new life in Christ. In scripture, several places, it tells us to beware of the leaven. Next screen. Just go to the next one. That's the Hebrew word, by the way. The leaven of Herod, beware of the leaven of Herod and how he's living and what he is doing. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, the leaven in Corinth, which is what is right here, the pride, the leaven of Galatia. Beware of the leaven. What if you and I decided today to take the next seven days of our existence and get rid of all the stuff that could possibly tempt us to sin and remove it from our lives? What if we made a... a totally just forgot the word. Make a, uh, resolu- a resolution, a commitment. Yeah, we'll just go with commitment. I, I had a much like cool word that God didn't want me to use. Commitment. Look, when you forget something up here, it's, it's God. I'm not blaming him, but he just didn't want you to use that word. A commitment to, to say, hey, everything that's in my life that tempts me, I'm moving, out, I'm moving out of my life for seven days. For seven days, I'm doing this. It's going to be my feast of unleavened bread. Maybe the symbol is you don't eat Leavened bread for seven days just as a reminder that you're removing things out of your life. What if you and I did that? Next screen. And we eliminated it. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. So there's pride, there's lust, there's greed, there's envy, there's sloth. Okay? There's wrath, there's gluttony. What if we remove, what's wrong? Is something wrong with that? Okay, great. Pride, greed, lust, envy, sloth, wrath, gluttony. What if we removed the stuff that tempted us? Let's start with gluttony. What if we just decided to eat when we're hungry until we're full and then we stop? And we remove the excess stuff in our house that we really don't need to be eating anyway. Right? Like ice cream sandwiches that are pet-oriented that are melting your mouth, that you eat three of them before you know that you ate three of them. Oh, what if we removed that out of, out of our lives? What if we removed whatever causes us to be tempted with gluttony? How about wrath? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I could remove my spouse from my house for the next seven days, and my, my wrath would go with it. I mean, I know. I know. What, if, what, if you, what if you remove the thing that caused you to have that wrath, or you were very aware of that, and for the next seven days, you were not going to speak out in wrath or anger toward the people that are in your house, what if you removed that from your life for seven days? What if, instead of being slothful, you actually started doing some of those projects that you need to do around the house? Right? We all get home. We all have stuff that we need to do around our house. And sometimes we're very slothful with that at times, right? Or maybe at work. Maybe you're not giving 110% at work. Maybe your slothfulness, maybe you need to remove. Sometimes you need to remove all those friends that always just want to have a good time. And maybe for the next seven days, you don't have a good time with them. You actually remove that and quit being tempted. How about envy? How do you remove, how do you get that out of your life for seven days? Well, Quit being envious. Right? The guy that has the greener yard in the neighborhood has to mow it. You with me? Yeah. The guy that has the real nice vehicle has to be careful where he parks it. Lust. What if for for the next couple of days we just quit watching TV and quit being on the internet? What what if we just stopped doing all that? What if we quit listening to music that had that stuff in it, lust and greed and pride? What if for the next seven days all we listened to was like worship music? How would that change you? How would that change your perspective? How would that change who you are? What if we participated in the feast of unleavened bread and got all the sin out of our lives, all the stuff that's tempting us, and just lived the Bible and God's word and how he wants us to live the next seven days? Would it change things? I would submit to you this morning that it would. It would. It would. God does not want you to be like this. Next screen. Getting rid of a bunch of stuff and all you have left is a little pea. Right? What he wants you to do is he wants you to take that plate and he wants you to fill it with something else. If you notice First Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 7, it says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lamp. Get rid of the old, in with the new. As you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity or sincerity and truth. What if you and I replaced all the malice, all the evil, all the sin with things that God wants us to replace it with? Being sincere and being truthful and being loving and being encouraging being the people that he wants us to be. What if for the next 7 days you and I actually lived as people of light and we didn't mess around with the darkness at all. We got rid of all the darkness and we just lived a people's life. Do you think it would change things? I would submit to you this morning, it would. Many of the troubles that we have in this life are of our own making. We we sin and then stuff happens out of the darkness, and we have to pay for those things, right? We have to pay for those things, but all of a sudden, it's those people, but, in, but it's really our responsibility. It's really what we did that caused everything to happen. Sometimes, it is my fault that Nicole is upset. Sometimes, it's Nicole's fault that I'm upset. I just wanted to say that a little softer. Sometimes it is us, and I would turn around and say that probably 99% of the time, it is something that we have done that's sinful. It's some sin that is still in our life. We need to, get back to the point. we need to take seven days where we remove all temptation from our life and we just live for Jesus. And at the end of the seven days, I guarantee you, you will not want to go back. You won't want to go back. Will you go back? Yes. Sinful heart's still in. But maybe that's the reason for the ritual. Maybe that's the reason for for a soul cleansing, to get all the stuff that's bad for our spiritual diet out of our life so that we can feed on the Word of God and Him and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Maybe the diet that we all need to be on is the spiritual diet, the diet of unleavened bread which would do more for us in the long run than anything we could change ice cream-wise or or steak-wise or fried chicken-wise. Maybe what we need to do is get rid of all the temptation and just live for Jesus. That's precisely why Paul stopped for seven days before he went on. He wanted to make sure that all his sin, all the temptation was out of his life and that he lived pure for seven days so he did that and then he continued his travel maybe we need to stop too let's pray